you tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and Mop Master dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The following podcast contains explicit language and content that may not be suitable for all listeners. It's been six months since the arrest of Rex Uriman, and we've all been waiting for this news. We've charged the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes to add to the already charged murders of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Costello. The Gilgo Four, forever linked through horrific circumstances, are now united on a path seeking justice in the courts. When you turn around and you see the victim's family members sitting in the courtroom, it takes your breath away when you see the grief on their faces and in their eyes watching this process. The new charges brought to light a slew of new evidence. Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney says this Monster Java energy drink can was recovered from a trash can on the platform of the Massapequa Park Long Island Railroad train station. Investigators photographed Huerman's daughter, Victoria, drinking from it while riding the train. They say her DNA helped link her father, Rex Huerman, to a hair left on Marine Brainerd Barnes. We also saw another disturbing list of web searches connected uh, to Huerman's computers using fake emails involving porn, rape, torture, and sex workers, which were numbered in the thousands. However, Rex Huerman stuck to his story. We entered a not guilty plea this morning. He has maintained his innocence from day one. He entered a not guilty plea on the original indictment, and he again entered a not guilty plea this morning. The press conference, the surprise guest, the court appearance, and all the new evidence. We've got a lot to cover. Let's get started. From ID and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, Long Island Serial Killer. The next court appearance was scheduled for February 6th, but District Attorney Ray Tierney didn't wait. On Tuesday, January 16th, a day after Martin Luther King Day, when snow and cold temperatures dominated Long Island, Tierney revealed the last of the Gilgo Four grand jury indictments and officially filed murder charges against Rex Uerman for the killing of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. The accused Long Island serial killer was back in court today, charged with yet another murder. Hulking Manhattan architect Rex Hewerman is now accused of killing an escort named Maureen Brainard Barnes, who vanished in 2007 when she was 25 years old. Back in July, the 60-year-old from Massapequa Park was arrested and charged in the killings of Melissa Bartholomew, Megan Waterman, and Amber Lynn Costello. Since the accused Gilgo Beach serial killer was taken into custody over the summer for the killings of three of the victims, 
Police have worked overtime to link him to a fourth, Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Hewerman appeared in court this morning as the latest indictment was read aloud. This is the moment that the family members of Maureen Brainerd Barnes have been waiting for, for all these years. For those of you who've listened to our previous episodes, you know we've been waiting for this news for months. It looked like maybe the grand jury would return their indictment before the holidays, but here we are. The similarities between the four victims, the manner in which they died, and the placement of the Gilgo Four along Ocean Parkway begged the assumption that one killer is responsible for all four victims. It would have been unwise to go to trial for only three of the victims, and too easy for the defense to point out that if the possibility existed that an unknown suspect was responsible for Maureen Brainerd Barnes, then that suspect could be responsible for the other three as well. The case is far more solid with charges for all four victims against one suspect. And DA Ray Tierney presented quite a few new pieces of evidence in the new bail document. With regard to the first part of the bail letter, it it indicates that the task force has established that the defendant's family was out of state during Maureen Brainerd Barnes' murder, just as they were out of state during the murder of the other three victims. Uh, The family had checked into a hotel in Atlantic City July 6th of 2007, uh, and they remained there till approximately July 20th of 2007. And both the documentary evidence as well as witness statements have indicated that during the time of Maureen Brainerd's Barnes' disappearance on or about July 9th of 2007, Yerman was not with his family. Uh, He joined them sometime thereafter. Evidence has now been presented that for all Gilgo Four disappearances and murders, Rex Yorman's wife and kids were out of town. We also recovered two burner phones from the defendant at the time of his arrest. The phone ending in 1697 was recovered from his office, and the phone 2671 was recovered from his person. With regard to the phone ending in 1697, it was used to contact numerous sex workers, We were also able to recover a fraudulent email account used once again to search for torture porn and info on the Gilgo case, on the Gilgo investigation and victims' families. The defendant was particularly uh, interested in the cellular telephone technology being not only used by the FBI, but, but specifically by the FBI in this case. We also recovered numerous electronic devices from the defendant, including a number of laptops, smartphones, tablets, From that, we learned that the defendant undertook numerous searches for software that could assist in erasing or wiping data from computer and digital devices such as EasyHide IP and Shredder X. He used those two applications to destroy evidence in this case. We see that he continued to make prostitution-related searches before, during, and after the disappearance and murder of the four victims in this case. What's clear here is that the new evidence in the case for Maureen Brainerd Barnes was mainly obtained from the search warrants executed upon Rex Yorman's arrest. Remember, Maureen went missing in July of 2007. The Gilgo Four victims weren't discovered until December of 2010. Two of the Gilgo Four victims had disappeared and been killed in the six months prior to the discovery. One of them, about a year and a half prior. Maureen had been missing for more than three years. It makes sense that actual receipts showing the Huberman family being out of town and digital forensic evidence pulled from actual devices would be needed to make the case for Maureen. This also makes sense as to why it took six months following the arrest. Not only did law enforcement have to obtain the evidence, they'd have to sort it and make sense of it. But DA Tierney had another bombshell. Well, the biggest change is the DNA evidence, and we've received uh, significant DNA evidence between the time of the first arraignment and this time, which I'll synopsize for you at this time. We've always spoken, right from the very beginning, we spoke about the five hairs of significance that were recovered from three of the four burial sites of the women. The most significant hair for the purposes of the superseding indictment was the hair that was found on uh, Brainerd uh, Barnes. It was found on the buckle of the belt that secured her lower body. And we also found three hairs at the site of Megan Waterman's uh, burial. We found two female hairs and one male hair. 
The male hair was found at the bottom of the burlap that Megan Waterman was wrapped in, and the two female hairs were, were found around the head area, one at the top of the burlap and one near the tape that was used to restrain Megan Waterman's head. The fifth hair was a female hair that was found in the area of Amber Costello's head. Now, at the time of the original arraignment, we reported on mitochondrial DNA uh, results for three of those hairs. With regard to the Megan Waterman a hair that was found outside the head area, it was consistent with the mitochondrial DNA profile of both Asa and Victoria Hurman, and you could exclude the rest of the population to 99.69% uh, of the rest of the population. With regard to the one male hair of significance that was found on the burlap with the Megan Waterman, again, that genetic result was uh, consistent with the defendants and 99.96 of the population could be excluded. And then finally, we had the mitochondrial results with regard to the female hair found uh, at the Costello uh, burial site. And that was consistent with the genetic profiles of both Asa and Victoria Yerman, and that was to an exclusion of 99.98% of the rest of the population. And if you remember the science of mitochondrial DNA, unlike nuclear DNA, you, you inherit that solely from your mother. So a mother and a child will have identical mitochondrial DNA profiles. So that is the mitochondrial results. If you remember from our earlier episodes, we had an expert explain that mitochondrial DNA is stronger than nuclear DNA and can withstand more of the elements. Remember, these remains were hidden on the side of a road, open to the elements of wind, sun, water, and rain. However, the district attorney revealed some new scientific breakthroughs are bringing nuclear DNA right back to the forefront. We now have nuclear DNA profiles on all five of the questioned hairs, and we use this using the SNP or SNP process. Nuclear DNA, as illustrated, is much more discriminant, and the SNP technology that was utilized allows you to get nuclear DNA, DNA results from hair. This SNP process is cutting edge. There are a couple of cases around the country where it's being used, but no finished cases, I believe but it is uh, scientifically accepted in both the, the medical and forensic community. It's used in the familial DNA context, so the science is certainly extremely solid. And the good thing about it is it's allowed us to differentiate between those Victoria Yerman and Asa Ellerup hairs. That's important. So what did this new process reveal? With regard to the hair found on Maureen Brainerd Barnes on that belt buckle, it was 7.9 trillion times more likely to have come from someone with the identical genetic profile as Asa Ellerup. With regard to the, the first hair that we got the mitochondrial DNA profile on, the female hair on Megan Waterman, that is 2.374 times 10 to the 48th power as likely to have come from someone matching the genetic profile of Asa Ellerup. And the way that that number is expressed, that's scientific uh, expression, I'm told. So that's basically 2.374, and you add 48 zeros to that. So that's a number so large, a name for it doesn't even exist. With regard to the second hair, 2.778 times 1.48 times 10 to the 54 times 10 to the 63rd power, with the same genetic profile as his daughter, Victoria Hurman. So again, the mitochondria... If the numbers get your head spinning, you're not alone. The punchline here is clearly the assertion that the new scientific methods extracted DNA so precise it could only belong to one of the Hewermans. If the science is to be believed, it's the kind of evidence that makes this an open and shut case. But defense attorney Michael Brown, in his press conference, said not so fast. You folks have followed this case from the beginning, and all along we have been told that the evidence is unsuitable for nuclear DNA testing. This morning was the first time, and this is 13 plus years, that miraculously nuclear DNA testing and results have come forward. There has been testimony, there has been lab reports that consistently said it was incapable of having nuclear DNA testing. And we had mitochondrial DNA, and those statistics were, quite frankly, not very convincing. Today, for the first time, is we hear about nuclear DNA. We're going to look into that. We are certainly going to look into the lab reports, the lab testing, 
and the transfer of evidence, because that, that's somewhat disturbing to learn for the first time after 13 years that we now have nuclear DNA testing. At the Brown and Layman's terms, can you assess the evidence you've seen from the DA? You have mitochondrial DNA, which in regards to my client, let's assume for a moment that number one, the DNA on the victim is in fact the perpetrator. That's a big leap, but let's just take that because we have transfer DNA. But make that assumption. Make a second assumption that the collection of the evidence was entirely proper. Big assumption, you have people walking around without gloves at the crime scene, there's photographs. I think some of you folks have published that. But let's just make that assumption. Now you have two out of 10,000 could be the donor. Suffolk County, Nassau County, total we have three million people. That's about 600 people that potentially could be donors for that DNA. It's an interesting point made and something the prosecution will most likely need to address at trial to counter the defense's argument. The defense may very well use D.A. Tierney's own words against him. Here's Tierney at the original press conference announcing the arrest of Rex Heuerman. But again, the crime scene, because it was out there for so long and because it was exposed to the elements those hairs were degraded, so you couldn't use traditional DNA analysis on it. You would have to wait and use mitochondrial DNA. And back in 2010, the technology wasn't there for mitochondrial DNA. Here's to hoping this case doesn't come down to dueling experts on the stand. For those of you familiar with our third season of Unraveled, you may share my sense of dread at that possibility. If you haven't listened to our deep dive into the horrors of trial experts, give it a listen, because it will shock you. But back to the case of the Long Island serial killer. It wasn't just the new charges or new evidence that made news. Maureen's sister and daughter were at the press conference and represented by none other than Gloria Allred. Allred has been an attorney and victim's advocate for over four decades. And you may know her from representing Nicole Simpson's family during the OJ trial, Amber Fry in the Scott Peterson case, and the more than 50 women making sexual assault accusations against Bill Cosby. I'm attorney Gloria Allred, and today I'm here at the Suffolk County New York courthouse with five of my six clients who were relatives or a friend of alleged victims of defendant Rex Herman. I represent the family members of the alleged victims. Lynn Bartholomew is the mother of victim Melissa Bartholomew. Amanda Funderberg is the sister of Melissa Bartholomew. Nicolette Brainerd Barnes is the daughter of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Melissa Kahn is the sister of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Sarah Carnes was the friend of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. Elizabeth Meserve is the aunt of Megan Waterman and the legal guardian of Megan's daughter. Lynn Bartholomew was not able to be present today, but did try to get here and will be present in the future. They have asked me to represent them as their victim's rights attorney in this case, and I'm honored to support them. I would like to introduce Nicolette Brainerd Barnes, who is the daughter of Maureen, and Nikki, as we call her, has never done any interview, and she will make a statement today. And she's very brave because this is heartbreaking for her. First, I'd like to thank law enforcement who have been dedicated to working on this case. I very much appreciate your efforts on behalf of these vulnerable victims. I'm here to speak for my mom, Maureen. I was only seven years old when my mother was murdered. Her loss drastically changed the trajectory of my life. There are countless times I needed her and she was not there. I remember she read to me every night and now I can no longer remember the sound of her voice. I wish she was here today, but she was taken from us. For years, it looked like there might not be charges filed against any suspect for the murder of my mother. While the loss of my mom has been extremely painful for me, the indictment by the grand jury has brought hope for justice for my mom and my family. I owe so much to my mom, and I know that she would want me to speak out for her in this process 
and let everyone know who she really was. Even though it was difficult for me, I'm doing this because I want her to be remembered as a loving mother that she was. Thank you. The next speaker will be Melissa Kahn, and she is the sister of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. I am the proud sister of Maureen Brainerd Barnes. 13 years ago, Maureen was found murdered after she went missing for three and a half years. Throughout these years, I had continued to hold on to hope that one day there would be justice for Maureen and that whoever took Maureen's life would be held accountable. Today is another important chapter in the long pursuit of justice for Maureen. It has been 16 years since the last time I saw my sister, 16 years since I heard her voice, because 16 years ago, she was silenced. Losing Maureen has become a wound that never truly heals. It remains a part of me. Maureen was a mother of two amazing children, and they will forever be without their mother. Sorry. Maureen was my older sister who was always there for me when I needed her. Maureen was inspired to be a writer and she loved reading books. She was only 25 years old. She had her whole life ahead of her. Maureen would never get the chance to show the world how talented she was. My family will never get the chance to know who Maureen would be today because her life was tragically taken. Throughout these 13 years, my family has painstakingly endured Maureen being judged and marginalized. Maureen was more than how she has been portrayed. She was first and foremost a loving mother, a caring sister, and a giving friend. With the loss of Maureen came unimaginable pain and panic. My life shattered with the confirmation of Maureen's death. Due to the experience of my sister going missing and being found murdered, I would suffer from PTSD. I would overthink every situation I deemed a threat because the worst possible thing in my life has happened. I became guarded. I overprotected the ones I loved around me because I knew firsthand that evil exists in this world. I wanna ask everyone to please remember the victims, Maureen, Megan, Melissa, and Amber. I hope that everyone will also remember the other victims from whom charges has not been filed against any suspect. These victims had families they were human beings with aspirations and hope for a better future for themselves. They have families who love and miss them. Maureen, Melissa, Megan, and Amber are no longer here to speak for themselves. And I am glad the family members of other victims are continue to speak out for their loved ones. And I support them because they know their loved ones best and they miss them more than anyone will ever know. Thank you. Next, I speak with reporter Laura Engel, who was in the courtroom with these family members. What was it like? What does this new evidence mean? And we talk about Victoria Hewerman, Rex Hewerman's daughter. She made her first court appearance on the day it was alleged that her DNA and her hair was found at the crime scene. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast, available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Also, Victoria, do you have anything to say about why you're here today? Victoria, your first time in court, any... Anything you want to say to us about coming in to see this court proceeding? That was reporter Laura Engel on assignment for News Nation. Here's my conversation with her about what she saw and what we learned. Tell me what court was like that day. It was an unusually cold day. It had been snowing overnight, and then it started raining. So I only say that just because it was a particularly miserable experience for reporters and anybody who was showing up at the courthouse uh, trying to get in and kind of dodging these balls of ice that were on the concrete trying to get into the courthouse. In one of those moments, I was one of the people trying to get a soundbite or get some reaction or a comment or statement from Asa Ellerup or Rex Heerman's daughter, Victoria. They did not say anything as they were being led into the courtroom with security and their attorney and umbrellas, cameramen. Did they seem like they wanted to be there? Do you think anyone knew that this evidence, maybe she was given a heads up that like it would include her, she should be there? Like, what are your thoughts on that? It was interesting when the court started and we were all waiting. And of course, nothing ever starts on time. So we're all sitting there looking around, looking to see who's in the courtroom. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes out and it was a member of the Suffolk County District Attorney's team with this big stack of documents and started handing them out like homework in class or a test at school. And we all were passing down the documents down the row of reporters. And all of a sudden, the courtroom got really, really quiet. And all you could hear were, were the quick turns of the pages as we were all trying to get through the document, you know, because we are allowed to have our cell phones in there and computers. So everybody wanted to get through the document to see what was in it. And then we saw the charge. Then we saw that there was new DNA evidence. And we saw that Victoria Human had been tailed on the Long Island Railroad and that one of her drink cans was recovered from a trash pull. All of us were wide-eyed reading through this document that had another round of brand new information I turned around when I saw her name, and I turned around, and I didn't see them looking through a court document, so they weren't tearing through it like the rest of us were. They were just kind of looking straight ahead. Interesting that, you know, just side note, Asa was wearing sunglasses in court. I'm not sure why. I've asked her attorney why she was wearing sunglasses. He didn't respond. But they weren't tearing through documents, so maybe they knew ahead of time, but it was certainly new to us. They didn't seem happy to be there. What really struck me, I sat in the third row over to the right. I, I like to sit on that right-hand side of the courtroom so I can get a good look at Rex Hureman when he comes in. And what struck me is just 
person after person after person in suits started sitting down and filling out the rows. And it was very clear that it was members of law enforcement, members of the task force, all the different agencies that had come there to witness what was about to happen. And obviously the work that they had been doing for years on this case. And so to see the amount of law enforcement inside the courtroom, I thought was really striking, peppered in with victim family members that were there. And I turned around to my left and couldn't help but notice Gloria Allred in her bright green jacket. And I had never seen her in court before for Rex Hurman, but I have seen Gloria Allred in court a lot in my life covering true crime and covering all these court cases, covering Scott Peterson. She represented Amber Fry in that case. And so when I turned around and I saw her, I said, okay, all right, so that makes sense. Her presence there kind of really demonstrated that this case is under a national spotlight. You know, she really only attaches herself to the most historic, you know, grand cases in our country. And I just, I, I thought it really kind of upped the ante to have her there. It absolutely did. And that's a great way of putting it. When I turned around and I saw her sitting in the middle of the courtroom, sitting side by side with victims' family members, in the moment, I turned back around to look at the seal above the judge's head and I thought, okay, wow. Okay, this is, this is going up a notch. For the victims' families, they've always been living with this. They've lived with this grief and this desperation and the, the need for answers, and we've all sympathized. But when Gloria Allred gets involved, you know that she is, for no better term that I can come up with, a dog with a bone. She is going to hold everyone's feet to the fire. She is collectively going to represent these family members. She is going to make sure that these voices who have been, you know, we've heard from victim family members for all these years that they don't feel heard, that they don't feel seen, that these women, because of their line of work, were forgotten about in, in many cases. And she, Gloria Allred's here, nobody's gonna forget about it. She's gonna make sure along with John Ray and others that this is going to be in the spotlight. It's gonna stay there and she's going to make sure that these victim family members get the justice they deserve. What do you make of the new bombshells in the case? What do you think made the biggest splash that day? Well, the headline, of course, was the charge of murder in the second degree for Marine Brainerd Barnes. That's why we were there. We've gone back and forth, my team and other reporters, you know, we all compare notes outside. And why wasn't it first degree? And there are a variety of reasons that you can be charged for first degree and second degree in New York. But the biggest one apparently for this case is that for first degree murder charges, they have to be three in succession in a certain amount of time. And Ray Tierney said the math of when Maureen Brainerd Barnes was believed to be killed doesn't equate into that uh, timeline for the other three. So that is the reason. I just wasn't aware of that criteria for first degree in New York. So I was surprised. Right. Absolutely. It was one of those things where we thought for sure because of the others, because that's how the, the first indictment read of murder in the first degree and the second. So we thought for sure that was going to be the case, but it's not. We looked up the New York penal section on murder in the first degree, and there are a lot of circumstances that elevate a murder charge to the first degree. Unfortunately, none that seem provable in Maureen's case, at least at this point. If the victim is law enforcement, if the killer knew the victim to be a first responder, like a firefighter, nurse, physician, if the victim was a witness to a crime and was murdered to prevent the witness from testifying, these are all reasons that automatically don't apply in this case. Some reasons, like the defendant acting in, quote, cruel and wanton manner, intended to inflict and inflicting torture upon the victim prior to death, end quote, could potentially qualify this defendant for a first-degree murder charge. However, because more than three years lapsed between death and discovery, the body may no longer have enough evidence to prove torture before death. Now, Section 11 does allow for the charging of first-degree murder if, quote, two or more additional persons within the state in criminal transactions within a period of 24 months when committed in a similar fashion, end quote. Maureen disappeared in early July 2007, and Melissa Bartholomew disappeared in early July 2009, 
There may have been two in 24 months, but the details are hard to pin down. And in any case, the DA doesn't have the required three cases within that time frame. So second-degree murder it is. The belt with the DNA evidence was huge because everybody has long suspected it. We knew that Maureen Brainerd Barnes was one of the first, or is the first. So we've been waiting for the DNA technology to catch up with what has been gathered so far. So to see that direct tie finally felt like a very big deal. The thing that I keep thinking about when I read through the documents and we're we're going through looking at the evidence, how can they make it stick? How is it going to hold up in court? Well, Mike Brown's questioning why he'd never heard of some of this DNA evidence before. Maybe new testing is what brought about this new evidence. He was very adamant about questioning the validity of the new DNA evidence. He was incredulous, right? He was, this is the first I've ever heard of it. And and when he said that, and I was reminded of being in the Suffolk County Crime Lab and listening to back then, just a couple of years ago, the new technology that is being used. And look, we talk all day long about how DNA is solving cold cases and and the new technology and how things can be run again and tested again. So it does make sense. I think that his point was that he didn't believe that there was ever even a chance for nuclear DNA to be around. And now suddenly there is. So what happened? And I I think the answer is going to end up being new technology. My question to the Suffolk County District Attorney Ray Tierney was, what else was in the storage unit? You bring up that receipt. So we now know that Rex Huerman's family is out of town. They're in Atlantic City. There is now a receipt for what appears to be a very cheap motel room, hotel room in Atlantic City. But, you know, we all saw the the videos of when the police arrived at those storage units and how long they were there and the medical examiner's van came. What did that mean? What what else did they find? They said that they found thousands of pages of documents and financial statements. But what else did they find? And that's what I asked, and Ray Tierney couldn't answer it, said, you know, that will all come out in due time. There's a lot of things we don't know. But the evidence of the storage unit certainly interesting. What also struck me is that in the bail document, there is mention of this digital shredding software he's trying to use. And the irony of him never thinking that his wife's travel and his actual physical records could actually help do him in, like what they found in that storage unit. So he was trying to cover his tracks and just wasn't destroying the right evidence. Don't you wonder when you see that, that, okay, so we watched, you know, they were carrying out like those bank boxes, those really big boxes out of both his home and his office and his storage units. But if your wife is out of town when you allegedly kill somebody and there's that evidence, why did he keep a bank statement that showed that they were in Atlantic City, the family? You know, it's just all really strange. And I'm sure you saw the text messages. The searches on Rex Hureman's cell phone and internet searches that are disgusting. What can I read on air? The details of some of his searches and text messages next. Discretion advised. And Laura and I also discussed what seemed like a throwaway line during the press conference, but could instead be a very big reveal. We know from the first bail document that Rex Huerman was connected to some pretty disturbing web searches. And believe it or not, this superseding bail document was somehow worse. If you've got kids with you, you may want to pause until they're not in earshot. From very graphic porn searches, such as, quote, tied up fat girl porn, crying blowjob porn, very skinny white teen tied up porn, young twink tied up porn, and skinny black slave girl porn, end quote. To even more disturbing searches, like, quote, autopsy photos of female, medieval torture of women, and stories of rape audio, end quote. I spoke with reporter Laura Engel, who was in court during the reading of the latest charges, about this and more. 
teen porn, Asian escorts, Manhattan, how I was raped audio. You know, this this horrible list of things that they allege he was searching for, new clues in the hunt for the Long Island serial killer. And his attorney has long said, look, he lives on Long Island. Of course, he's interested in the investigation. And a lot of people Google things like that. But I'll tell you what, they don't Google things like we found on page seven. He said something to the effect of, you know, we don't know what everybody's Googling. We don't know what our neighbor is Googling. Wait a minute, Mike Brown. Let me go back to page six. And I don't think, I I hope that my neighbors aren't Googling these terms. I don't think that that can be something that you would take lightly, these types of words that this person was searching for. I just keep going back to thinking about these women and wondering how long was Maureen Brainerd Barnes? Let's just stick with her for a second. How long was she alive under his thumb before she died? And the belt, was she tied before, during, after? We don't know. And those are the the horror movie parts of this that really stick with me when I'm wondering what was happening? How long was she alive? Where was she alive? Oh, 100%. Just the sequence of events and just the horrors and fear they must have experienced. And we see actual photographs, this woman who's half naked and he's communicating with somebody named Andy, which we know is his alleged alias name, talking about trying to hook up, can't get to you today. My wife is out for the day. You know, I'm working Monday and they're going back and forth trying to set up a time. So I'll be curious to hear if we're going to hear more from this woman identified as Big Booty, uh, you know, in this text message chain. And you just, you see the personality, you see the habit, you see the, the language, the ease of which he is talking to sex workers, according to investigators, and you look at how he's trying to just hook up. Look, my wife's out of town. When can you get together? Did you happen to catch when he said, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to the effect of, based on the evidence, the cell phone evidence in the superseding document, it's clear he lured the girls to Massapequa Park. The circumstances of all the four women are very similar. Uh, Their backgrounds are similar. Uh, Unfortunately, their deaths are very similar. And that's why we focused on the Gilgo Four. But it's what we're willing to disclose about that death is is everything that we've talked about now uh, with regard to the utilization of the four separate burner phones to to lure uh, these women out to Massapequa Park where they were unfortunately murdered. I took that as like an intentional admission to the fact that they believe he did kill them at his house. Did you catch that? I heard that, and you're right. I mean, that could, I don't know if it was a slip or not, because he's been very, very careful, right? He wants everything to come out in the courtroom when they get close. But now that you say it like that, is that where he started, if true, right? Is that, did he lure them? And with the cell phone evidence, with, you know, the ladies' cell phones making it to that box and the Massapequa Park cell phone box on the map, that would make sense. But then where did they go, right? Because there's, I, I haven't heard anything about those phones, you know, going to some random place, like a storage unit, right? But some people have said, did, did he kill them in a storage unit? Did he kill them in the basement? Did he, if you know, all these different theories. And the investigators just haven't told us that, but you're right, that is, uh, that is an important note. I don't know that he is really trying to hide it, it didn't seem like a mistake. It seemed like this is what the evidence is showing. People are just trying to piece this together because, like, it, I think it heightens the, the shock and horror of this. Like, if he really did this at his house, and I know that's what people kind of think, but there's always a chance that he didn't, and it's seeming more and more like that is what happened, which is just disturbing, you know? It makes this double life idea just all the more... Right. It would, be the safe, it would be the safest place for him let's just say things happened in the basement, right? And I live on Long Island. I have a basement. I'm from California. I never had a basement before. I always used to joke that you, you know, my husband's a drummer. And so it gets really loud in the basement, but you go outside and I don't hear him drumming because the concrete into the ground almost acts, I always used to say it's like a bank vault. It's a bank vault because there's no sound that you can't really hear anything. So, I'm outside and I can't hear my husband drumming loudly in the basement. He's a professional drummer and he's good. But 
you can't really hear it if you strain to hear it. So then you think about if somebody's in a basement and bad things are happening and you would like to think, gosh, if somebody was screaming for help, I would hear it. On Long Island, when you've got basements that are down in the concrete, that's a terrifying idea. It really, it really, really is. Looking at Rex Hureman with his hands behind his back, double handcuffed. And so you take the, the idea of this large human being that's the size of a linebacker, and you think about the size of just the Gilgo Four of those women and how petite they were and how small they were and, and how thin they were. You know, it's just, it's a stark contrast. And when you think about what happened to them, possibly at his hands, investigators believe so. And then you turn around and you look at the victim's family members and all you want, forget being a journalist, just a person, you know, you just please give these people the answers that they need. We're all watching it in real time in front of us. And that's all anybody wants is to see these families have justice that they deserve. Oh, absolutely. Seeing Rex Hurman in court, what did you think? What was his disposition? Did he react or respond to the charges? What did you see? He didn't look behind him the way he did the last court appearance that I was in court for. And it was the first time that we saw Asa in court. And I think he knew. And I didn't see him look out at the courtroom. But, you know, you walk down a crowded hallway, you know it's crowded. So he knew that that courtroom was filled. And it wasn't just filled every seat. It was filled with standing law enforcement along the walls. It was packed. He knew it. And so when he came in, he didn't look back. He didn't look for his wife and his daughter. And I will tell you that I learned that Asa Ellerup has seen him in jail a couple more times since the last court appearance. So did Asa tell him that she was going to bring Victoria? I don't know. We don't know. I will say the only thing that I observed from Rex Hewerman when the charges were being read is when the name Maureen Brainerd Barnes was read out loud, he kind of like looked down for a second. He just, he just glanced down. It was very quick. It wasn't a grimace or anything like that, but it was almost like, you know, he heard the name, he knew, and then he just looked forward at the judge. He listened to the rest of the conversation, and off he went, not looking back at the victim's family, not looking back at his family, just going back in his blazer with his hands behind his back, back to jail. Next up in the case of the Gilgo Four is the actual prosecution, but District Attorney Tierney stated the investigation is far from over. He said, now the grand jury investigation is done with the Gilgo Four, but thankfully he, he let us know there's the same grand jury that is going to be taking up now the next steps. Now, how long will that take? Can they just, you know, not use the same homework, but, you know, take apply all the same theories and evidence testing that they did with the others and now just kind of move on? Are they going to do it one at a time? Are they going to do it in sets, two by two? We don't know. When he said that they're looking into the other victims and doing that work, he also mentioned that they're doing the same for other victims, not included in the remaining six that are just traditionally associated with this case. And I found that interesting. Absolutely. I mean, widen out that bullseye, right, from the Gilgo Beach area and keep widening it out to Nassau County. We just don't know who they're now investigating is for, in terms of victims, how many, and what areas. To follow Laura Ingalls reporting, follow her on Instagram, at Laura Ingle TV. She posts many behind the scenes of the stories that she covers, including the recent Scott Peterson appeal updates and obviously the Long Island serial killer. While the arrest of Rex Uriman six months ago changed everything, the charges filed in the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes feels like the official start to the prosecution of Rex Uriman. The Gilgo Four, the first four women found along Ocean Parkway. Similar stories in life and in death. These women will now be at the center of this prosecution. District Attorney Tierney now gets to lay out his case. Rex Hewerman and his defense team want to mount a vigorous defense. There is a question of a possible plea deal, and maybe we see that in the future. But Rex Hewerman's camp has handled the entire process very differently than, say, a Golden State Killer or a BTK. This one might actually make it in front of a jury. In the meantime, there will be a strategic chess game with pretrial motions, 
and continued investigation into the other six victims found along Ocean Parkway. And John Ray has just released an affidavit connecting Rex Uriman with James Burke, the disgraced former Suffolk County chief of police who obstructed the Long Island serial killer investigation. We'll dive into all of that and more in upcoming episodes. But one last thing before we go, and only because it brought this case very close to home. In the recent bail document, it was also revealed that in 2021, as this podcast launched, a burner email account allegedly associated with Rex Uerman searched Google for information about this show and read the March 1st, 2021 People.com article titled, New Discovery Series Tackles Decades-Old Long Island Serial Murders. The article mentions me by name, and the thought that he was following the investigation that closely is disturbing and unnerving and chilling. If you would like to contribute to our story, or if you know Rex Yorman, please send an email to us at unraveltips at gmail.com. Or you can contact me directly on Instagram at Alexis Linkletter. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers and writers of this podcast are Joke Finciun, Biagio Messina, and myself, Alexis Linkletter. Executive producer for ID is Annie Mangoni. Our editor is Caitlin Cleveland. Lisa Rebikoff is our associate producer. The music and score that you've heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, and review the podcasts that you enjoy listening to. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Yuffie X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Nickelodeon was kid everything, but that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set, an ID true crime event, Sunday, March 17th at 9, on ID and stream on Max.